How's it going, Yamitators? This episode was a lot different. It was um, Jackson Milgaton, and we talked music. A lot of music. Uh, he's a musician. He's been in uh, a handful of bands throughout the years. Uh, first time I saw him play, he was in this band called The Vision of a Dying World, and it's um, it's all it's all gone out from there. It's awesome. Um, yeah, we talked a lot about music. We talked like next to next to nothing about comedy. So get ready for that. Um, a lot of introspection. A lot of thinking about. Uh, music and bands and where we've come from and where we're going and stuff. It was cool. But, yeah, Jackson Milgaton, he is uh, currently in a band called Dead Phones, and they have an album out. It's self-titled. We'll talk We'll talk about that. You'll hear about that. And um, promote, um, you know, just help out. Tell people about it. Uh, it's on facebook.com slash yamatat with Doug Culp. Um, it's on iTunes and Stitcher and yamatat.com. Still got our apartment comedy show going every uh, every time there's a post about it. If I don't post anything, then there's uh, no show because I'm uh, out of town or something. Um, my Twitter's at Dougathan. The Twitter for this show is at Yamatat. So <clears throat> I know I said I'd think of more, but I haven't thought of any more. Um, yeah, Yaminations, yeah, yeah, like animations. Uh, send in some Yaminations. And, um, you know, maybe animate some stuff to the show. I don't know why I'm demanding that. I'm not demanding it. You know what? Just do whatever you want. Just, uh, uh, I, yeah, Re respond to the show. Tell me what you think. And, uh, love it. All right. Um, yam it up. All right. Sweet. Cool. What's up, dude? Nothing much, man. How you been? Good. Excellent. Yeah. How about you? I've been good. Yeah. Cool. It's pretty sunny in there? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've got the shades up. Yep, yep. It's starting to go down, I guess. I forget the... <laughs> it's a style thing, man. I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, so welcome to Skype. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful to be here. <laughs> uh, um, cool, man. So what uh, what band are you in right now? Uh, well, so the project that I was most recently working on was a band called Dead Phones. Okay. And that was like all the same guys from Cuckoo Chaos. Mm -hmm. um, but it was like this record that we made that didn't fit like what you know, the aesthetic or the sound that we'd made for Cuckoo Chaos at yeah. all. Cuckoo Chaos was, like, like bouncy and dancey and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And this stuff was, like, very um, dark and kind of, like, introspective a bit. and Yeah, more ethereal. Um, ambient, so, maybe? What's up? Maybe a little ambient? Um... A little bit. I mean, it's still pretty, like, groove-based. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, like, a really rhythmic record. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just sort of, like, whatever the opposite of that, like, <laughs> beachy feel that we had on the previous record. You yeah. Know? It was, yeah. like, the opposite of that. So, uh, yeah, we just decided to, like, let Cuckoo go. And <laughs> we weren't going to write any more of that material, you know? <laughs> 
Like, we're done with you, cuckoo yeah, kill us. So, yeah, we just, and then, uh, we just put this record out, like, maybe, like, a few weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever think about, um, doing what Arcade Fire did and releasing it as the different band name, but still, like, having Cuckoo Chaos around? Or were you just like, we're done, we're done with all this happy shit? <laughs> um, I didn't even know they did that. Yeah, yeah, they, they, well, they released the, um, from what I understand, they released, uh, their last album, Reflector, as the, or they went on tour as the Reflectors, or something. Oh. And I think they played that album, like, and going out on tour as the Reflectors. I may be wrong, but they, they were on this episode of, uh, Colbert, and, um, he was like, our musical guest, the Reflectors, and I was like, that's everyone from Arcade Fire. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I don't know. No, there's no no going back, that's for sure. Yeah. Once, so, once the cuckoo is dead. It's dead. It lies. <laughs> In peace, hopefully. Oh, cool. How, you know, so it's recording right now. So it's cool. Been, it's been recording. Um how many bands have you been in? I'm I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna take a guess, and then you tell me if it's higher or lower. Okay. Seven. Uh, okay. Let's see. <laughs> I think it's eight. <laughs> Damn, I was off by one. Pretty good. Uh, I thought you were gonna be like, no. <laughs> nah. Most of the, you know, most of the projects that I've been in lasted for like quite some time. You yeah. know, so I mean, I did, and some of them like overlapped as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I did the Vision of a Dying World for basically like a decade. You know. Yeah, dude. I I remember I remember back when you guys had uh um you ha- you already had a full length out so I di- I wasn't there for that but I was there for the EP after with um paper ship paper ship mm-hmm. yeah yeah and uh that was I saw you guys that night on accident because I was there to see um I think I was there to see did you guys ever play a show with Sherwood Maybe. <laughs> it was either Sherwood or House of Fools. Because I saw both of them at, I think it might have been House of Fools at the Epicenter. Huh. And I was like, who's this Vision of a Dying World, guys? These are pretty good. Yeah. Alright. Fate. Yeah, man. It was. It was. That's what music does. Totally. It just pulls you in and you're like, yep, I'm going to keep doing this. And the epicenter. It seems like a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> oh, the epicenter. Oh, yep. That was that was a crazy venue. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I, I remember. I think the first time that I really like remember meeting you was maybe at Scolari's office or something. Um, I I did a CD release show there. But, and I think Keith was supposed to do his, um, 
Jamuel Saxon. I think uh-huh. he was supposed to headline, but he didn't. And that was the only time I went to Scolari's office. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. I've seen you guys at Epicenter, um, at... Like the Che or something? <sighs> probably. I probably saw you guys at the Che, yeah. Just I all feel, over. I feel like I remember you coming to a show right after your 21st birthday. Yeah? And it was like, yeah, because I think when we met you, you weren't 21, Right. Right. Wait. No. 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 Wait. No. I moved out. I moved out here. Uh, <laughs> I'm all going along with it. No. I moved out here when I was um, just 22. Just oh. turned 22. Okay. Yeah. Oh, weird. And I've seen you guys at the Casbah too. Maybe that was it. Seems like a kind of a haze. <laughs> a, a lot of show that we. We played so many shows that year that it was ridiculous. Yeah, it all blends together. I know. It was fun, you know, just like when you're young, you just want to play, you know, yep. just want to go for it. Yep. Um, out of out of all the bands you've been in, which is has been your favorite experience? And not to say like, uh, you like the music more, or you wish that band could still be going, but like, which one has been like your like? You've had the most fun so far, I guess. Oh man, that's tough. I that's a good um, question. <laughs> stumped me. Um, I think I, there's like there's no way that I could pick one as like my favorite. Um, I like them all for different reasons, and I you know there were things about them all that I didn't like um, that were all different each time. Um, like with the vision, I think the vision was the most fun that I've ever had being in a band. Now, maybe that was because it was also like my first real band. So yeah. I was like young and lighthearted and kind of silly. Like everybody was. Now you're just, jaded. Now you're like, okay, back to reality, everyone. <laughs> we were just so like giddy. And kind of, like, excited to just be doing it at all. Yeah, yeah. I remember just, like, a lot of, like, on the recordings, sometimes, like, on on that record, that EP that you first heard. Yeah. I remember when we were tracking it, sometimes we had to stop because we were just, like, laughing so hard. (laughs) We thought that, I mean, the music was pretty whimsical and pretty jovial for the most part, but... We just thought it was fucking hilarious. Points <laughs> and we just like couldn't contain ourselves. So that was cool. And I liked. Um, I mean, obviously, like Cuckoo, kind of gave me the like biggest picture of like how the music, what the music industry like really is. Yeah. Because uh, that was, you know, that was really the only project I've been in that was like a national act in some sense. How. Uh, uh, how big did you guys get when you were in Cuckoo? Like, um, did, were you touring nationally, or? We were. We toured North, North America a couple times. Dang. And um, it was a, a lot of, and then we did a lot of, like, flyouts, like, one-offs and stuff, where we would, like, fly into Boston and play a show there, and then go to New York and play a couple shows, and Whoa. then fly home. So that was cool. It was, like, we felt... Um, really well received in like most of the places that we played. And, uh, because of 
our booking agent, we got on some really amazing shows. Like most of the shows we played everywhere were packed out, you know, and not really to see, not to see us at first, but then it kind of seemed like later on, like especially in New York, we really kind of like cultivated a little bit of a following where we could fill, you know, like a soda bar sized venue pretty much as well there as we could here. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a really good feeling. So, yeah, I mean, those were like the biggest shows that I've ever played. Um, it was the most, like, there was the most of like a, the machine behind it, like pumping mm-hmm. money into like marketing and PR and all that jazz. So we kind of got like the most opportunities from that one, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but there's certainly something to be said for, you know, back in the day with like the Vision of a Dying World or the Paddle Boat, trekking around like kind of, you know, not really having that solid of a plan or of a structure, and you're just kind of winging it and learning what you're doing and sleeping on couches. And you, yep. you like, that's an experience, you know, you get a lot of like flavor that way. And um, I mean, those, I, I wouldn't trade those times for anything. Um, but on the other hand, it was nice being in Cuckoo and like sleeping in a hotel almost every night. So, yeah, dang, that must, uh, like you, you were probably like sleeping in that hotel and being like, shit, remember when we were in vision and <laughs> I mean, we weren't like staying at the Ritz or anything, No, you know? no but, but just, yeah, I mean, having, is like... having those creature comforts was nice being out on the road for sure. Yeah. Um, um uh, do, would you say that like um having like having all that attention and like the PR and like shows booked and like people people were going to go see you guys and you knew that would you say that that was kind of like weird where you're just like ah, I don't know if I'm like want to like explode or cuz I could see I could see how that would be weird and just like maybe um, a little throw you off your balance or something. Like, did it did it do any of that or am I off? Um, it felt. I think it felt pretty good at the time. Like we were just just excited that um, people were responding like they were, and um, we were pretty eager to just like get out there and really kind of like make a go for it. Um, yeah, I I really like performing live. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm pretty extroverted. So yeah, for me it was like a it was, it was a great thing. I think for maybe um a couple of the other guys um it was a challenge for them and um kind of like a growing experience for them to get up in front of that many people on a consistent basis and you know, try to remain like casual. Yeah. <laughs> um but uh yeah, I, I I loved it. It was great. Okay. Sweet. That's good to hear. Cause you um you know Neutral Milk Hotel? Yeah. And then I heard that's what happened with them where like they started getting really big and then he was like, I don't know how to handle this and then yeah. they just kinda of broke the band up. Yeah. Uh that was kind of a sad situation. Jeff Mangum, like I mean, I I read a um I read like like a little, the 33 and a third. I don't know if you check that series out. I haven't, but I know about it. Okay. Yeah. So I read the one on, in an airplane over the sea. And, um, it basically like, he was an extreme introvert. Um, and 
<laughs> kind of never really had the intention of sharing that music with anyone. Yeah. And he also never really had any intention of, like, continuing it as a project. It was just, like, he wrote these 12 songs or whatever. And they all and went together, right? Told the story. Record. Yeah, totally. It was like, I made this record, and, like, that was it, you know? And so he didn't <laughs> expect anyone to, like, be like, hey, come play this festival or whatever, you know? And... um I think then when people were like, well, where's the follow-up? He was like, oh, no, no, that was, that was the, you know. <laughs> so, I don't know. I I mean, that's kind of a, it seems like that every so often that happens where a great artist um, who is kind of of that state of mind, uh, you know, encounters sudden fame and it really, like, rubs them the wrong way. But, um, yeah. but I like, uh, I like being out there and, you can, yeah, say, you can say you like the attention. It's positive yeah, attention. Yeah. yeah, I like I like the response, certainly. I like the interaction yeah. of people, you know. Like, um, I don't feel necessarily like when I'm performing, I'm just, like, being, like, judged or, or just, like, stared at. I feel like I'm just – I happen to be on stage with an instrument right now, but, like, we're all sharing this experience. Yep. And, I don't feel that much of a separation between me and the audience, you know? Yeah. Like uh, there's been so many times where, um, I've been at a show and it feels like we're celebrating together, like yeah. celebrating this awesome music together. And like the band is loving it and then I'm loving it. And I'm just like, yeah, like it's just positive vibes all over the place. Yep. And that's a good feeling. Yeah. For everybody. Oh man. Um, I, I get the same thing out of comedy sometimes. Like when I, I'm just up there and like, Everyone like I crack a joke or whatever, even like an accidental thing, and then everyone's just laughing. And I'm just like, yeah, all right, let's keep this going. Yeah, it's a beautiful, you know, you're all sharing in this joyous moment, and it it feels good to make people happy. That it makes you happy in return. Yeah, it's a circular thing. It's a self. It's selfish and selfless at the same time. Totally, and that's what's beautiful about it is that it doesn't really have to be either, you know? Yeah. It's both. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, so out of out of all the albums I put out, which is your favorite? <laughs> Ooh, definitely um, the triple record was uh, quite an undertaking. Right? <laughs> The 65 tracks that you squeezed yep. out of the thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were, they, I compressed the hell out of them, but... Uh, <laughs> you must have spent, like, decades in the studio. I like, mean, the sound quality... Leading up to that moment. Yep, the sound quality is lossless, so it's just... Uh... <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Dude, I remember, I remember that night when I had the um, self-release show... At uh, Scolari's office, and um, out of all the like maybe fifty people I invited, um, three people showed up. For for me, like there was other people who were already there. There was other people who showed up for like other artists and stuff. And like you can't expect, you can't ever expect like, oh, I invited fifty people, maybe forty will show. No, of course not. Yeah. And I was just happy to be there and to play and stuff. And um, I sold a couple CDs to people who didn't stick around and hear me. <laughs> like, this one guy was like, 
what's your sound? What do you sound like? And I was, and I was like, blah, 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 whatever. And he was like, all right, I'll take one. I'll take one of those shirts, too. And then I was like, yeah. okay. <laughs> and then he Slate, left. man. <laughs> yeah, it's always good if you're selling merch before you play. <laughs> I'm very persuasive. <laughs> uh, Maybe, yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's fun, man. But I, um, at a certain point, I was like, I think, I think I want to make people laugh, like, more than anything else. And, like, if I can incorporate music into that too, because I've done like comedy songs and stuff, then yeah, totally. Um, yeah, you gotta go where your heart is leading you, you know. Mm-hmm. And you gotta be like open to that and make sure that you're really enjoying what you're doing. Yeah, it's hard, you know. It's yeah, hard check in with yourself all the time. Yep, it's hard to um, it's hard to reach that moment where you're like this. This is exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like, I never want to retire. Like, who? I think that... I think that moment may, like, be a stronger feeling, like, sporadically throughout someone's career, you know? Like, I don't think it's always, like, this is the greatest thing ever. No, it's it's not a consistent feel. Yeah, there are these certain moments where you're like, man, this makes it all worth it. You know? Yeah. Um, but as long as it's still worth it, then you keep doing it, you know? Yep. Do what you love. Um, there's, there's this guy who <clears throat> I recently ran into and like, I got booked, um, at, uh, a venue to do stand up down here. And, uh, he kept saying like, it's a business. It's why it's called, they call it show business. And I'm just like, ugh, like it kind of makes me sick to my stomach, <laughs> like hearing, hearing yeah. that terminology and just like that state of mind. And I'm just like, ugh, gross. Like, get out of here. Cause it's like a club and like a club, you gotta put, he's like, you gotta put butts in seats. I'm like, ugh, yeah, but just quit saying that stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> I totally. I know, it's weird. Yeah, it's weird when you, you know, bring the whole business aspect yeah. into it. Um, like, it complicates things, that's for sure. Yeah, I know that side exists, but, like, just don't talk about it. Like, <laughs> like uh, the whole... Yeah, I think you just have to, like, kind of gauge for yourself where you feel okay with it. Yeah. Being involved in what you're doing. Um, and I know plenty of people who... Um, you know, really aren't making music for anyone but themselves, and they just do it because they love to do it, um, and they wouldn't for, for a second want to get money involved in what they're doing, you mm-hmm. know? It's just purely a thing of of passion, um, and then they do something else, like, to support themselves. Um, yeah. And it's, it's not because they're good or bad, um, I mean, I've heard some music from people that really don't want to pursue it. That is, like, some of the most creative and original stuff I've ever heard, you know? <laughs> and it's like, man, you should... You know, the natural tendency is to be like... You, you should, yeah. Do something with this, but it's yeah. like... I think the thing that I've learned over the years, too, is, like, I've sort of encouraged some people who I really thought had a ton of potential and talent. Yeah. And they 
did it with me for a little while, and I think they really enjoyed doing it, and it was a little bit, like, outside of their comfort zone, but yeah. in the end, I think they were really glad that they did it. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, they came back to the same place, where it was like, okay, I'm glad that we did that, uh, um, but now I want to go back to my day job, and I want to maybe make music, like, at night, like I used to, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that seems... It seems crazy to me, like, not, like, they're not crazy, but the idea of just going, yeah, I'll just have a day job, I'll get my, get my benefits, and, uh, I'll just do, do what I love, <laughs> like, on the side, like, oof, hurts, I know, hurts I know what you mean, about. yeah, I know what you mean, but it's, I don't know, I think for, um, for some people, they don't feel compelled to try to support themselves doing what they love. Yeah. Um, and I kind of think that maybe part of that is that they don't want to... Like, if the second that you get that involved, then it's sort of like a question of how successful was it, you know? Mm. And And I think that is where a lot of people will sort of like go astray and just get, I mean, certainly like personally for me, there were certain points where I'm along my path over the last, my musical journey over the last, however long I've been doing this where, you know, I had kind of like gotten too focused on like a certain aspect of it Mm. and kind of forgot why I, that feeling of like why I did it in the first place, you know, and you like hear the cliche of people like talk about getting back to their roots and whatnot. Yeah. But, um, I think that's really what they mean when they say that is like all this other stuff, you know, when they were making that first record and they were just like in their parents' garage or something and they had all this creative energy and spirit that it was just so pure, you know, and yeah. then when, you're making money from it, whether it's like, you know, like contributing to your income or you're like buying islands. <laughs> I think that either way, it's going to, that's going to really like complicate your relationship with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely can, it can like change the integrity of what you're doing and like, um, cause then at a certain point, you, it probably makes you think like, what's the audience going to like instead of what do I like? Right. Which is crazy because, like, it's all about, like, uh, what you're creating. And if the people don't like it, like, I saw it happen with uh, Phantom Planet. Like, after um, after the California album, they put out that, that self-titled in 2003, I think it was. And people who latched on with the California album were like, what is this? This is so different. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm just like, dude, it's still them. Like, it's still good. Yeah. And, yeah, it was way different. Yeah. I, I, oh, that, that's like a tricky thing to sustain yourself as an artist to, like, get people to... I mean, some some people can keep doing the same thing for their entire career, and it just works, you know? Mm-hmm. Some people are able to get their audience to follow them through, like, a crazy evolution, 
you know, and um, and that, I mean that's a real skill in itself. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I think either way, you hopefully the success of those acts is working out because they love what they love it, you know. So like even even if ACDC, they've been playing with the same, you know, three chords, like, in the same way, basically, with, like, slight variations for, like, 25 years or something, three mm-hmm. years, I don't even know how long. It's like every, you know, you could play a song off their last record or a song off the record from, like, the late 80s, and you would not be able to tell the difference, <laughs> But then, you know, there's some artists, like, I don't know, like, you know, Bowie certainly kind of comes to mind where it seems like he or or Dylan to a certain extent has made a career based on on a constant evolution yeah. um and and people followed them you know it worked they believed in it enough whatever i mean even you know they they took risks too like you know when Dylan went electric he turned off a lot of people but he probably won over at least as many people if not more than liked him in the first place so yeah. that was kind of like hey i want to do this and um, I don't care if you're mad that I'm not playing Blowing in the Wind anymore. Yep. And, uh, I mean, I have a lot of respect for Dylan because that's been his attitude, like, his entire career. He's just kind of, he doesn't give a shit. (laughs) Like, uh, I love this. This is a, there's a story that um, some woman came up to Dylan uh, after a concert, I think when he was, like, fairly young, and uh, she was like, oh, that was such an incredible show. Like, I just, I loved it so much. This is, like, the best day of my life. And, you know, he was like, man, that sucks. You know? <laughs> just like... <laughs> just All downhill totally, from here, lady. <laughs> yeah, just disregarding, like, her compliment and just kind of being like, best day of your life is you watching me play, like, your life must be really pathetic, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, he just, he never cared. Seems like he didn't really even care what anybody thought. He just kept on, you know, that's the whole, like, don't look back thing. Mm-hmm. Just like Boston says. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't actually know anything about Boston. That's one of their lyrics. That's one of their songs. Well, now I do. Now I yep, know something. Go. There you go. <laughs> who, are, who are some of your main uh, influences, you think? Um, I certainly was very influenced by the Talking Heads when um, I kind of started really listening to them in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say that had a big impact on like the direction that um, the music I was interested in making took. Um, probably, I mean, Dylan, I've been listening to him so, for so long in my life since I was, you know, as young as I can remember. Mm. Um, and Paul Simon too. Okay. Uh, and then, um, Tom Waits definitely had a huge impact on me. Um, I mean, I, I love the Kinks and the Beach Boys, um, as far as more modern stuff goes, uh, I'm a huge Bjork fan. Okay. Um, I mean, I love a ton of the the new wave bands. 
um, from the late seventies and the early eighties television and Elvis Costello and, mm -hmm. um, Blondie. Uh, as far, I really like what, uh, like current bands today. I mean, I love Animal Collective. Okay. I think they're definitely a band that is, I don't like everything that they've done, but I respect that they're willing to take the chance, um, to, create something totally different and to fail maybe, you know, to like have an yeah. unsuccessful experiment. Yeah. And then the stuff that they have made that I like, I mean, it's like, I, I love it. They just, you know, it's yeah. So I don't have to, I don't have to like everything that they've done. Oh, of course not. I, I appreciate, I mean, there's something to be said for like an artist where you do like everything that they do, but that, I think that's like a personal, um, a personal thing where it just so happens that like, what they're creating kind of like lines up with your taste. Yep. And that's just yep. kind of, you know, maybe a little bit of luck. Maybe um, it's because once someone finds that, they become a follower of, you know, yeah. a disciple of that. And, uh, yeah. But I don't know. I haven't, like, I've listened to... So much music from bands that are currently making it um, over the past like five, ten years, and I don't know. There's a few that stick out. I think as more than just like, oh, this record's really hot right now, or yeah. something. And like, yeah. um, I mean, I really liked "Here We Go Magic." Um, I haven't heard them. Yeah, it's this guy named Luke Temple. Okay, he's from New York, and he was he originally played under that name and then he kind of like as it really became like a full band he um they were called here we go magic and they put out a bunch of records and i think they just recently i'm pretty sure they broke up and i think he's putting out records under his name again hmm. but um they were a really really cool band i would check them out for sure here we go magic okay uh, yeah here we go magic um i mean i love arcade fire and Radiohead, you know, just you ever, the next guy. You ever listened to the Mountain Goats? You know, I haven't really listened to much of them. Dude. I've heard, yeah, yeah I mean, people... <laughs> I, heard, you like, I get it, Doug, they exist. They're like... <laughs> they kind of have like a cultish following. Yeah. Um, I have uh, some friends that are in a band, and... I remember, especially when they first started, they kind of got compared to the Mountain Goats um, a lot. And uh, I think it was just like, they, it was like acoustic music for the most part and kind of like really quirky. And uh, the singer's voice kind of reminded people of, of the Mountain Goats guy. Hmm. But I, I don't know, maybe because of that, I like never wanted to check them out because <laughs> I, liked, I liked my friend's band so much. I just... I didn't. Want, I didn't care where their influence came from. I can't Only take that the was memory. Their you know, <laughs> I never checked them out. Um, one of the that reminds me of. Um, I used to play a bunch of open mic nights when I first moved out here in 2006, and um, I have this song that I wrote called "Your Bad," and the chord structure is for the verses is exactly the same chord structure as um, "In the Aeroplane Over the Sea." Except there's like another chord on each um, 
uh, measure, and I hadn't heard them before <laughs> at all. <laughs> so this kid came up to me after one of the um, after one of the open mics, and he was like, "Dude, have you heard Neutral Milk Hotel?" And I was like, "Uh, uh-uh, no, who are they?" And he's like, "Dude, that song reminded me so much of them. That was awesome." And I was like. Cool, thanks. And then I heard in the airplane over the sea, and I was like, "Shit!" <laughs> yeah, happens uh, all the time. Oh man, like even down to the strumming too. And I was just like, "Whoa!" That, I mean, it's parallel thought. Like that's that's pretty cool. I was like, "All right, cool, <laughs> cool." I think it's like a collective consciousness that bleeds into all of us, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um. And there's and and you know music is a is a tricky thing in that especially like Western popular music. There's only so many combinations of chords. Yep. You know, there's only so many notes that you can harmonize that haven't. I mean, it's you know, not to say that like everything has been done because I, I don't like that um, state yes. at all because I think it's untrue and I think that there's still new stuff being done. But I think that um, people are, at least at this point, they're certainly having to approach it in a different way, yep. um, whether that be different instruments or just like um, like a different idea of like the structure and like getting away from, from like three and a half minute pop songs or whatever it is. You know, it's just I, I kind of it's it's funny like rock and roll is is getting kind of old. Um, you know, when it was like when our parents were kids, it was so fresh and yeah, exciting, yeah. you know? What is, what is this music that's making the kids, uh, do all these, uh, hoop de doos and, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah, yeah. The parents were freaking out and made it like rebellious, you know, yeah. which they like added to its popularity. But now, and now it's like all the, all the parents and the grandparents are, they were, you know what I mean? All, Rocking out to Rush. My grandmother loved Elvis or whatever, you know? Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, even all those guys, it's so strange to see all those guys aging and na- now dying. You know what I mean? Like, Lou Reed dying, and it's like there's only, you know, half of the Beatles left, and yep. um, Dylan looks like a skeleton, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's weird because, into like, it. he's easing into it. Yeah. By just oh, yeah. He's into it, like, the last 30 years. Um, but it's funny because you think of rock and roll as such kind of like a youthful thing. And now all those guys who sort of, like, made it what it is today, they're all old. Um, yeah. And that's kind of a trip, you know? And so I think that, uh, I don't know. I kind of, I'm, I'm not like super into, um, a ton of electronic music. I, I kind of feel like I'm just sort of getting into a little bit of it, mm-hmm. but, um, there's definitely like that stuff out there that's popular with the kids. <laughs> like my Keith, Keith will play me some stuff that I guess is, I mean, pretty popular, like guys that are e- either, in the same vein as like Skrillex or like Dead Mouse or something like either those guys or some one of their contemporaries or whatever. And I'm like, I, I just, you know, I, when I listen to that music, I think it's kind of cool because I know how parents felt 
back in the 50s. <laughs> because I'm like, I'm like, well, I just don't, you know, it's like, I could make some, I feel like it makes some people angry. Like, they're like, oh, what is this crap? You know what I mean? It's just a bunch of, just a bunch of noise or whatever. It's like some kid on his computer, like, you know, just how is that music? But obviously there's like, they're playing stadiums to like, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. Every night, and it's, so it's like those people aren't wrong, you know. <laughs> yeah. like, it's taste. We just oh. don't get it, you know what I mean, and, and that's fine. Um, just like those, you know, kind of like square parents didn't didn't get it back then, and they were burning Beatles albums, you know. <laughs> you fear you fear for your children, and you don't have any. That you know of. <laughs> that is true. That is a holy truth statement. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, that, I don't know. That's something that is, that I've kind of thought about a lot lately. And, um, I'm even kind of thinking that, like, the next project that I do, um, is going to be a bit more, um, based on like technology, oh, like okay. like technology that I have, you know, that we all have access to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's all these like, there's so much of it out there, um, and I've only recently in in Cuckoo Chaos towards the end of the project, I started playing a drum sampler, which I play a decent amount in Deadphones, mm-hmm. probably almost like on half the songs. <clears throat> um, I mean, that was I remember. Like, right around the time that you probably moved to San Diego, um, it was such a, a huge thing for me to not play acoustic guitar. Yeah. Um, it was like all the boys convinced me to play an electric guitar because it was kind of, it's kind of a pain to, like, amplify an acoustic and get it to sound mm-hmm. really quality. Um, so, like, like I, I remember that was like a huge thing for me. I was such a purist and like so against it, you know. <laughs> and then and then I kind of I started playing electric guitar and I was like, oh man, this thing's great, you know. Like, <laughs> I get it. And then I started like adding slowly, adding pedals. Like at first it was just a, a boost pedal, you know. And then I added like a delay. And then by the end of Cuckoo. Like I had suitcase full of pedals. Yeah, it was, and I'm playing this drum sampler, and it's like I, I mean, I, I don't know. I saw um, there's a that that have you ever seen the live at Pompeii, uh, Pink Floyd kind of like documentary concert thing? Um, no, I haven't. I know about it though. In there, um, they're kind of they're talking a little bit about how people uh were kind of gave them some shit for using synthesizers on Dark Side of the Moon. Um, and we're kind of had like the attitude, you know, like, oh, well, anybody can push a button on a machine, you know. Um, and Roger Waters was like, well, if anybody can do it, then why isn't everybody doing it? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you don't have to... Maybe, you know, like anybody can push that button. Maybe it's maybe that is much easier than like learning how to form the embouchure to make to blow a note on the trumpet. Like it's going to take more time just to make that one note on the trumpet. You know. Yeah. But once once you've 
mastered and like learned how to use whatever you're trying to create music with, then whether it's a computer or a guitar or a piano or whatever it is, you know, it's like, that's why computers don't make music. You know, machines don't make music. There, there are not yet. Not, I mean, they have programs where they kind of like are in a way. It's like that, that human element is what people like yep. about, about music. And yep, it's what can, makes it so emotional, um, and, uh, gets a, a reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, that, that really, um, I, I really took that to heart, uh, when I saw that because obviously, those guys are incredible, like one of the best bands of all time. Um, and they would be just fine with just their piano and guitars and drums, you know? I mean, they're, they're still one of the best bands of all time without that. Yeah. So it's like the stuff that the little like synthesized electronic elements that they added to Dark Side of the Moon were, you know, sort of like icing on the cake in a way. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe some of it sort of inspired them to, like, approach a song differently or something. But, you know, it's like, it just made me realize that using the technology that is available isn't a cop-out. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know. it's, it's exploring like um yeah i i didn't hear the album but bjork had that album that was like interactive or something okay and it was um like you could listen to the album but like you're adding to it while it's going or something like uh it was all i think it was all like app based or something it was crazy um and that band phoenix you know them yeah they had, um, I know the app they used, it was called like NodeBeat or something. Mm -hmm. And it was for their song, it's like seven minutes long or something. And they would, they'd like make the beats and like the sounds and stuff that's going on in the background, like as the song is going. Cause like that's how you have to use that right. app. Right. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's cool to just discover new stuff that's out there and you're like, Oh, we can use this too. Yeah, all right. We'll yeah, try it. yeah, yeah. It op it opens things up and helps you approach it from a different perspective. You mm -hmm. know. Yeah. So that's kind of just like what I've been thinking about lately. Um, maybe kind of like the next thing that I do, trying to make it radically different from what I've done in the past. Yeah. Do you want to throw a theremin in there? Oh Those are guy. tough play ever. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, a, it, it's, it, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, but it's hard. Yeah. It's because um, you're like, okay, well, I'll just manipulate the air around this uh, <laughs> antenna. <laughs> and it's so specific. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, what else? I I usually have a couple questions ready. Okay. All right. Where are you working now? What's your, do you have, like, a day job, or have you, ma like, made okay enough money to, like, just live and make music? No, no, definitely not. The The bands in recent years, the bands that I've been in have, like, sustained themselves. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so in the sense that, you know, when, when I first started touring, it was like we were just doing it on our own dime, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, in the last <coughs> year been doing it, it was we were able to get to the point where the band was, like, paying for the band to continue, uh, which was awesome. Now, yeah. no one was making any money off of it. Like, no one was coming home with a, a dollar from tour. Yeah. But instead of coming home having spent a ton of your own money on gas and hotel or whatever, you know, food, it was like we could basically go out there and live really cheaply and decently on the band's tab, kind of. That's pretty cool. So that was cool, yeah. And, I mean, to me, that was... Um, I mean, we made we made a little bit from, like, sync licensing and stuff. Like, uh, this, like, Teeny Bopper show on MTV used one of our songs for, like, 30 seconds in the background of some yeah. scene. And it was like we got, like, a couple grand for that or something. Nice. But, um, yeah, it was all... even. I mean, even that stuff just went back into, like, Funding the next recording, mm-hmm. or more touring, or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, for the last, like, seven years, have worked at the Turf Supper Club in Golden Hill. Okay. And, um, yeah, that was all, it was always kind of just like a job for me, for the most part, that was really great because it allowed me to go on tour. Um, like, my bosses were always super cool with that and yeah. like encouraging of it. It was just that kind of a lot of people there were in bands and whatnot. A lot of support. But um so but in recent years it's kind of become as I got more like involved in the bartending aspect of it, mm-hmm. um it really has become somewhat of a passion for me. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, so I, at this point, I just, I bartend three or four nights a week, and um, I do a decent amount of the, like, back of house, like, behind the scenes, kind of, like, scheduling and hiring, organizing, that kind of, you know, hmm. the nitty-gritty business elements, but, um, yeah, it's been great. I love it, and it's um, it's kind of funny because I... It was like I unintentionally landed in this career um, just by kind of sticking around. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden one day I was like, I was like, whoa, like I actually really like doing this and it's good money and I don't know, what more can you ask for, you know? <laughs> so yeah. it, uh, and I mean, you know, only working like three or four nights a week leaves you a decent amount of time to do other stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that was kind of, um, for me, that was like my compromise, you know, is that, um, it, it was a nice balance for me. Like I wasn't, I wasn't starving, you know, to, and like spending my last dime on like a, a new string for my guitar so I could, you know, play the show or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it was just like sustaining myself enough to where I could, um, be comfortable, do music, and not have to worry about making money for music, you know? Sweet. Yeah. 
so that's it's been great. Yeah, I'm, so I'm still there, and uh, yeah, I love it. I don't know, it's a blast. The what turf? The um, the turf supper club. The turf supper club. Sorry. Yeah, it's a super old spot. It's been there since the late '40s, um, and it just it has so much history and. The staff is great, and so many of the customers are great. It's like a total neighborhood bar, um, and uh, yeah, I just I couldn't really ask for more. Hmm. So it's been a real blessing, I guess. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, uh, we were talking about like electronic music earlier, and there's a lot of there's a lot of music out there that's like really beautiful, but it's really ambient. Mm-hmm. And um, I this has happened to me a couple of times. And like I I've been listening to an album and it's good, but then I fall asleep while I'm listening to it because it's mm-hmm. so ambient. Has that ever happened to you? Like, do you know what I'm yeah. do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Um, actually, a, a friend of mine made a record back. When and we were like 20, I think. Um, and uh, it was this super hypnotic, ambient, <laughs> electronic, uh, like, <clears throat> I, I don't know. I, I just imagine there's like a backtracking of like, you're very sleepy. You probably want to go to sleep now. <laughs> it, it was it was beautiful, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and it was... Um, it wasn't like I don't know. I'm not sure how to put it. It, it wasn't boring. No, you know. Yeah. But it was. It lulled Soothing, you. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the whole. Its whole purpose was to lull you into that state where you were just <laughs> like you know either susceptible a, to suggestion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Either, either like asleep or just in like a real tranquil state of mind, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I love music like that. Uh, I, I I do really love music like that, and it's funny though because for the most part, I think it's you know it's if you, you create music like that, it's tough to sell. <laughs> kind of a tough to sell. It's kind of like a tough to promote. You know, like you can't really play live and um, people are falling asleep standing up just yeah, falling over not going to get your music on the radio like it's not even an option you know so it's kind of like I don't know it's a, that's a special little genre that <laughs> there's certainly like a, a fan base uh, across the world you know yeah. Um, but uh, yeah I don't know I mean I guess, like, you look at somebody like the Album Leaf, and, you know, like, Jimmy Lavelle was able to make pretty ambient, ethereal, spacey music, and make a living doing it, you know? Um, so, I guess, you know, if there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. But uh, uh, I like that stuff a lot. Yeah, it, um, the bands that come to mind right now are um, Explosions in the Sky. Mm-hmm. Um, very ambient and like something something that also is soothing is like when there's no lyrics. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like I'm like this is perfect sleep music. Like I can't I can't um, listen to it and not like 
just be lulled off to lulled off to sleep. And then um Seeger Seeger Ross. Oh yeah. Another one. Yeah, I was uh watching that documentary that they made about all those shows they played in Sweden, I guess. In 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 Iceland. Oh Iceland, sorry, yeah. Right they're from Iceland, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. They played all those shows in Iceland but didn't announce any of them. And um it was a really cool story and I just remember like during some of the songs, like five minutes into the song, I'm just like, Yeah, I am getting there. I am like being lulled off to sleep right now. Yeah. But like in a good way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Their music is very powerful. Yeah. I love I love that documentary. Um Actually, I got to see them at uh, Copley Symphony Hall downtown mm-hmm. uh, quite a few years back, and I mean they were incredible. It was an an incredible show. Um, Slept the whole time. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like it was probably like the most powerful show I've ever seen. Yeah, you might not think that their music would have that kind of force, you know? Yeah. But, um... I bet live it's a whole different experience. I mean, I think they accurately capture what they do on the records. Okay. But it's like, they're really loud, and it sounds really full. And I think because of the, um... Because of the ambient nature of their music and the combination of those two things, like I remember when they first started touring the states, mm-hmm. people were passing out at their shows uh, <laughs> in the front row because it was like they were so loud, and the <clears throat> like the repetition um, of the of being in a small club and the um, the physical force of the music coming out of the speakers. Yeah. Would like, shut their brains like off. Knock them, almost like knock them out, you know? <laughs> um, which I think is so cool and so powerful. I mean, that's <laughs> talking about music affecting people, you know? Yeah. And when I saw them, like, I mean, I'm, I'm at Copley and I'm kind of like in the middle of the, this huge theater and, um, they're like, you know, far, way far away from me on stage and, but still like, it was so powerful, you just couldn't get away from it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, okay, uh, top top five shows you've seen. Like, bands where you're just like, holy shit, like, this is going to be hard to stack up against. Um, I, I saw Weezer play uh-huh. um, at a club in Vegas. This was probably like, I was like a junior in high school. Okay. So what year are we talking? So I think that's like 1999. Okay. Um, so blue album, green album hadn't dropped yet. Um, no green album had, yeah, the pink Pinkerton had been out for a, a little while at that point. Um, and they had actually, they hadn't even written a Green Album yet. Um, was, was Maladroit, uh, before? After. After the Green Album. After Green Album, okay, okay. Yeah. So it was like, they kind of made, they made the Blue Album and then Pinkerton and then sort of didn't put anything out for a while and they wrote a record that they tracked a lot of demos for. 
mm-hmm. and then scrapped the whole thing and made the Green Album, and the rest is history. Yeah. So, like, the Green Album is where I, they really, like, lost me. Like, I was just bored. I felt like they totally sucked the soul out of what they were doing. That's and, like, all exactly the, like, how I felt, too. Angst and the grit, you know? Yeah. Um, but so this concert was before that. It was yeah. like right in that in-between period. And the songs that they wrote for the record that was supposed to be their third album, um, those songs were amazing. They were just amazing songs. I, I don't even, it sucks because I don't even think I have any of, of those demos. So you heard them live or you heard them like some other way? I'd heard them, I'd heard the demos through like Napster. And yeah. yeah, old school. And yeah, then dude. when I saw them on that tour, they were trying out a lot of new material. So they yeah. were playing like they played everything. They played for like two hours, Ooh. and they played like almost everything off the Blue Album and Pinkerton, plus like all these new songs that oh, were wow. that I'd heard because I'd, I'd heard that I'd gotten the demos. Yeah. And that show was like amazing. That was just yeah, that was an incredible experience. Yeah, um. Let's see, who else? I gotta tell you real quick, the time I saw Weezer. Um, it was, the lineup was Jimmy Eat World, then Tenacious D, then Weezer. Wow. Yeah, me and my sister took a five and a half hour drive up to Cleveland. This is when we lived in Northern Kentucky. And, um, we were, we were there for Tenacious D. We were like, this is gonna be awesome. It was like, right after the, their first album had dropped. So, um, uh, Weezer had, had, um, was fresh into the Green album, and I was like, man, like, I, I felt the same thing of like, man, they don't even care about their music anymore. Du-du-du. Like, yeah. <laughs> which is funny, like, um, that state of mind, I'm kind of over thinking that way, just cause, like, if you're doing what you love and you're getting, like, making a living doing it, that's awesome. And if it if it takes like an album like the Green Album to then go and do like I, I bet they had a lot of fun on the Red Album, right? Like it's, I have I haven't you know, honestly I just like completely stopped. Like, <laughs> I haven't heard either. Album, like that's I, it. And I, I don't even I've never really even I mean I've heard a couple of the singles from the records after that, but like I uh just Yeah. I mean it was disgusted. It was something that I that I loved so much, and then just, it's like I don't even associate the two things, you know what I mean? There's, like, the first two records that they put out, it's like, that band is, like, this totally different thing to me. And also, Matt Sharp left the band after Pinkerton, and that was, he had a huge influence on how they sounded. Um, Yeah. So. Okay. um, Let's see, who else? I... Oh man! Oh, I well, kind of like right around the same time. Um, do you ever listen to Ozma? They toured with Weezer a lot. Heard of? Were they hardcore? No, they were like power pop, like Weezer, but almost like more over the top kind of. Okay. Um, and they were great band name, by the way. That movie is so scary. <laughs> you know what I'm talking I about? Seen, I haven't seen it. Return to Oz. Oh. I thought it was called Ozma. No, no, no. Ozma is a character in Return to Oz. Which character? She's um, she's the queen or princess or whatever that's trapped in the mirror, and that crazy lady who takes off her different heads and stuff is, uh, has trapped her there. 
Interesting. That's where they got it from. Okay. Yeah, dude. Woo. That movie is a trip, dude. Oh, it's so it's, scary. The Wheelers. Woo, yeah. man. That's a really weird, <laughs> really weird piece of cinema there. Um, okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so I, I saw them at Chain Reaction in Anaheim. Uh-huh. Um, it was like just a, it was a headlining show uh, that they played, and um, it was just it was like one of those, you know, I was probably right around the same age, like 17, maybe 18. Mm-hmm. And they were like a very, like they kind of had some like emo leanings, you know, just in the sense that um, it was like very youthful, uh, like listless kind of, you know, um, it appealed to teenagers, you know, and, and they were really, they were pretty young too at the time the band was while they were making it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, you know, everybody was just singing along, like, every word, and just, I don't know, that was like a magical little experience for me. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know, I guess I've seen, I'm trying to think of, like, some bigger shows I've seen that really, really blew me away. I don't know, I, you know, I have a tendency to be, like, a small show kind of guy. Yeah, it doesn't have to be big. Um. You ever, uh, you ever go to a show... And while you're listening, and while everyone's singing along, get a little emotional. That ever happen? I'm sure it has. <laughs> I'm sure it has. You're like I'm not going to talk about it, but I'm sure it has. I just don't remember. <laughs> I uh, I saw Beirut play. Okay. Um. Uh. Shortly after um, Flying Club Cup came out. Uh huh. And um, like at one point. Everyone was singing, and I, I don't think I had heard the album yet. And so all of these, uh, a few of these songs that they played off of it were brand new to me, but everyone was singing along to Sunday Smile, mm-hmm. like at the chorus. And it was like, you could hear everyone. It was in the Wiltern in L.A., and the sound in there is awesome. And so just everyone singing all at once. And I was just like... <gasps> <gasps> yeah, it's powerful. Yeah. Powerful, man. Oh, man. I, um, you know, I saw... A, a somewhat bigger show. I saw Ben Folds play solo. Yep, me like, too. Probably like 2001 um, at the House of Blues in Vegas. Okay, cool. And uh, and that was that was a fantastic show. He he is such a a showman. I mean, he's such an incredible songwriter and and musician. Yep. But um, he's really just such a charismatic dude. Yep. And there was so much interaction between him and the audience. Um, that was that was that's definitely one of my favorite shows that I've ever been to. Yeah, that was dude. really cool. Oh man, I've seen him play like seven or eight times, maybe. Uh huh. And uh, every time, dude, every time, so awesome. the The last time I saw him was the Ben Folds Five reunion tour. I was kind of bummed I missed that. Oh, dude, it was incredible. Like he didn't play any of his stuff from his solo because, like, yeah, they have enough to just yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, and um. Uh, at one point they they were going off a set list, and at one point he just was like, you know what, we're just gonna take requests from the crowd, and I was just like, yeah, and I was wearing uh this Get Back Loretta shirt, the one with the phone off the hook. Do you remember mm-hmm. that one? Mm-hmm. And um, and it says Get Back Loretta really huge on it, <laughs> and uh, I was like, song for the dumped, play song for the dumped, and he was like, huh, he's like, hey you guys. You guys, this guy wants to get Loretta back. This guy wants to get Loretta back, and uh, he wants us to play Song for the Dempt. Should we play Song for the Dempt? And everyone's like, yeah! That's awesome. 
That's awesome. Yeah, dude. Oh, I, man. Um, I saw I saw Joanna Newsom and Devender Banhart play at a club in Phoenix that is no longer there. It was called Modified Arts. Okay. Um, and it was the club is tiny. Yeah. Super DIY. Um, it could probably only hold about sixty people. Yeah. And maybe, and there were like there were like maybe 20 people there. Dang. Um, and this, so this was right after Devendra had put out his, he hadn't re- released his second record yet, which I think is rejoicing in the hands. So this is like, I mean, he was really like, I bet the shows in LA and New York were like, okay mm-hmm. for him. But I mean, in a place like Phoenix, it was like, no one knew who this guy was. I mean, <laughs> for the most part, no one anywhere knew who he was. Yeah. I, I'd only, heard of him because Keith had gotten, somehow someone had given Keith a blank CD, a burn CD with just the words Devender Banhart written on it. It was Napster. And we had no (laughs) idea what it was. And this was like kind of, this was like before you could just find anything on the internet. You know, the internet was still kind of like a tricky place. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just had no idea... And and those that first record is so like spooky and um mysterious and it's like for the most part like recorded really, really poorly and it's like kinda it's you know, it's super lo fi. Um his voice is like so high and, and wavering that we couldn't actually tell if it was a guy or a girl. Oh. Um and and then, you know, I found out a little bit more about him before we saw that show, but like not much. So it was kind of this like that was one of the last... Mysterious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, rock and roll shows I ever saw. I mean, it was a folk show, but uh, where that element of mystery was still there for me, you yeah. know? Couldn't, like, read the artist's Wikipedia page before I went and saw them live. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, seeing him just up there with an acoustic guitar and then seeing Joanna Newsom just up there with her harp by herself and, you know, I'm just in this room, there's, like five people that I know and like 10 people that I don't. And like that, that for me was the, I think maybe the only time, one of the only times where I saw an artist and more so with Joanna Newsom than with Devendra, I think. But I saw seeing her play afterwards. I was like, like everyone there was like, wow, like that we're all going to in 30 years, we're all going to be like, I saw Joanna Newsom play at, you know, like some somebody in the 60s seeing Dylan play in some coffee shop. In yeah, yeah. It was like that. Like, yeah. it was a guaranteed thing to everyone in the room that she was going to become huge. Because uh, it was just that convincing. Powerful. It was that songs were that good. It was just, un, the whole package was there, you know. It was, like, undeniable. Yeah. Even though none of us even knew who she was because the few people that were there had come to see Devendra, who was headlining the show. Yeah. And this tiny little Amish looking girl gets up there with this <laughs> harp that's like twice her size. It's <laughs> already thinking like, okay. <laughs> and, okay. Well, us lady. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like time stood still or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw no use for a name play the Casbah. All right. And this was like, this was one of their last tours before Tony Sly died, and um, it was 
incredible. Like, max capacity of Casbah is like 138, I think, right? No, it's like, it's like with the, with the, um, with the back room, but just, it's like 225. Okay, so there had to be like 300, 300, maybe 320 people there. And I was up at the very front, and it was the only time, hmm, no, it wasn't the only time, but it was definitely, like, the most stress I've ever put on one leg at at the same time, <laughs> trying to stay up, and I'm, like, 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 leaned over, like, hunched over, but, like, still, like, pointing my head up, and I'm, like, have the rocking symbol with my hand, and I'm, like, singing along, and I'm, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, just, like, sweat, just bullets of sweat. And, um, and a couple times, like, my leg just giving out and then me falling onto the stage and the security guard, like, pulling me back. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And, like, switching legs, like, I'll try my left leg now. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, and that show, I didn't have a ticket for. I went down, like, the, uh, this was, like, when the Casbah first started doing online ticketing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know. I was just there. Early, I was there at, like, because um, I like getting there early for a show I'm really psyched for. Get a good parking spot for free and just, like, um, yeah. just be there. So I was there early, and um, I asked the bouncer, I was like, Do, um, I bet the show's going to sell out tonight or something like that. And he was like, oh, there's no more tickets. And I was like, oh, shit. And I was like, can I use the bathroom real quick? <laughs> he was like, yeah, okay. So I go in. And then um, I I did I used the bathroom and then I went over to the merch table and Tony was there and uh, this merch girl was there and I was talking to them and and um, I was like, dude, the show tonight is gonna be sick and he was like, yeah, yeah, man, it's gonna be cool. Thanks for coming out and I was like, yeah, I didn't get a ticket. Um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I came down because I thought they were only doing tickets at the door because that's what they always do and he was like. All right, what's your name? And I gave him my name, and he was like, "I'll put you on the list. Don't worry about it." And I was like, "Oh shit, yeah." Yeah. And that was the last time I saw them. And then he died last year, and or wait, 2012? I think it was last year in October. And I was just like, "Holy cow!" Like that was an amazing experience. Could not. Yeah, that's could, special. Yeah, it was so cool. I saw Rush. How was that? It was amazing. It was incredible. I won tickets off the radio. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gone because I didn't have the money. It was like $50 tickets. That's pretty classic. Win tickets off the radio, go see a show, a huge, you know, like an arena. Yep. That's like something out of the 70s. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) On my rotary dial. Yeah. They're just dialing over and over. There's no redial. That's how it was. Crank man. it again, man. Crank it again. <laughs> my first concert ever, um, my mom took me to see Jerry Lee Lewis play wow. at Flamingo Hilton. And that was a trip. Um, you know, for being like a, I think I was like six or seven years old. Yeah. And uh, I mean, what, what like, what child doesn't love Great Balls of Fire? Like, that song is, you know, yeah. Um, 
it's got like the energy of a seven year old, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, I mean, at that point he was getting older, you know, and, um, but he still had a ton of energy and just, you know, it was awesome. Like that was kind of, uh, that was, that was an interesting, I mean, he, he's such a, um, like a joyous performer and, you know, he's like sliding down the, the keys with his butt on the piano, you know, <laughs> going crazy on it. And, uh, he's got this like rad backing band and, um, yeah. Then the rest from there, I was like, okay. You're do- like, yes, music. Yeah. Yes. Bring yes. it on. Yes. <laughs> Dude, my first show was, uh, the Aquabats and I didn't know what I was experiencing. <laughs> I was like, Holy cow. I was 12. This was like back in 96. And, um, wait. Yeah, 96. And I was with my dad. We were picking up my brother from this show. And, um, Mad Caddies played. And then after Mad Caddies was the Aquabats. And, uh, I remember they were doing like, they have their friends and foes, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, Powdered Milkman came out. And he had like the radiation suit, but it's all shiny. And he's like, Spraying uh, baby powder everywhere. <laughs> and th- my only thought in that moment was like, okay, first of all, what the hell's going on here? Second of all, I want to be a part of all this. And third of all, I don't think that's not powdered milk. That's baby powder. And like, I smelled it and I was just like, wait a second. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh, man. That was so good. That was when they still, I'm pretty sure they printed their own tickets. Or they had, like, this little company that printed tickets. And it was, like, these big blue tickets that were, like, that long. And I still have them. I still have those tickets. I keep every ticket stubbed from every concert that ever had a ticket. It's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So I can look back and be like, oh, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. That's that's a really good idea because it's so easy to forget so many of them, you know. Mm-hmm. Especially when it's like, how many shows have you been to? It's like, I don't, I don't know. Totally, <laughs> nobody knows at this point. You know? Yeah. I mean, for for people that are, you know, that music is like a part of their life. Yeah. It's all, yeah. It can definitely start to blur together. Yep. Um, well, did I I gotta run here. Oh yeah. Okay. But. Um, Good to chat with you, man. Yeah, it's been fun, man. Good to good to see your face. It's been a little while. Yeah, we'll have to hang out in real life. Totally. Once, uh, once we both get reliable transportation. That would be that would be <laughs> excellent. <laughs> gap between here and Vista. Yeah, for sure, man. Cool. Yeah. Well, if you're ever down, um, if you're ever down in the city, uh, hit me up, and um, you should come. You should come check out Turf. It's a really cool spot. You'll you'll dig it. Okay. Yeah. Well, do you have anything uh, you want to plug? We uh, we do plugs if you want. Um. Yeah. Well, I guess we're playing a dead phone show at the Loft at UCSD. When is it? Because this is going to come out in like three Fridays. Oh, okay. Never mind. It's next Monday. <laughs> okay. So if anyone was at that show, you enjoyed it. It was good, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess. The Dead Phones record, you know, that's out there. It's uh, self-titled, and it's uh, released through a Northern California label called WAGA Records, W-A-A-G-A. But if you just Google uh, Dead Phones, one word, uh, the iTunes link or the Amazon link should come up. It's just digital, 
Um, no hard copies pressed. And we don't actually have any plans to tour. Um, it's kind of like the project is really just this this record. And then uh, you're done. And then, yeah, and then I don't know what the future holds. But it, you're, gonna, uh, you're not going to Jeff Mangum it, are you? Uh, uh, <laughs> anybody, you don't know, man. You never know. Everyone's like, dude, we fucking love this record. We want more. And you're like, sorry, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I guess if there was a demand that for it, you know, who knows? I'm certainly open to it, but uh, I think as of now, yeah, like the the intention and the project was just to make this this thing a one off. Yeah, and we worked on it for like three years. Dang. Yeah, like writing for a couple of years while we were touring as Cuckoo. Okay, okay. And, and um, and then it took us about a year in the studio. Um, obviously not like straight through, but you know, doing like chunks at a time. Um. It took us a year, about all in all, to track it and mix it, and uh, and now it's finally out there, and we're all super pleased with the way it came out. So, cool, man. Yeah, check yeah. out your headphones, everyone. I'll send I'll send you a link. Okay. Yeah. All right, man. Well, take care. Have a good uh, Have a good rest of your Wednesday. Thank you. You too, Doug. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see you around. Right on. Okay. Have a good night, bud. See you, man. You too. Bye.